0: Dead Souls, Part Two, Chapter Four, Section One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Dead Souls by Nikolai Vassilievich Gogol, translated by D. J. Hogarth. Part Two, Chapter Four, Section One. Read by Anna Simon. Next day, with Platon and Konstantin, Chichikov set forth to interview Klobuev. The owner whose estate, Constantine, had consented to help Chichikov to purchase with a non-interest-bearing and loan of ten thousand roubles. Naturally, our hero was in the highest of spirits. For the first fifteen versts or so, the road led through forest land and tillage belonging to Platon and his brother-in-law. But directly the limit of these domains was reached, forest land began to be replaced with swamp and tillage with waste also the village in Klobu's estate had about it a deserted air and as for the proprietor himself he was discovered in a state of drowsy dishevelment having not long left his bed a man of about forty he had his cravat crooked his frock-coat adorned with a large stain and one of his boots worn through nevertheless he seemed delighted to see his visitors what he exclaimed konstantin teodorovitch and platon Really, I must rub my eyes. Never again in this world did I look to see callers arriving. As a rule, folk avoid me like the devil, for they cannot disabuse their minds of the idea that I am going to ask them for a loan. Yes, it's my own fault, I know. But what would you? To the end will swine cheat swine. Pray excuse my costume. You'll observe that my boots are in holes. But how can I afford to get them mended? Never mind, said Constantine. We have come on business only. May I present to you a possible purchaser of your estate in the person of Paul Ivanovich Chichikov? I am indeed glad to meet you, was Klobos' response. Pray shake hands with me, Paul Ivanovich. Chichikov offered one hand, but not both. I can show you a property worth of your attention, went on the master of the estate. May I ask if you have dined? "'Yes, we have,' put in Constantine, desirous of escaping as soon as possible. "'To save you further trouble, let us go and view the estate at once.' "'Very well,' replied Klobuev. "'Pray come and inspect my irregularities and futilities. "'You have done well to dine beforehand, for not so much as a fowl is left in the place. "'So dire are the extremities to which you see me reduced.' "'Sighing deeply, he took Platon by the arm. "'It was clear that he did not look for any sympathy from Constantine.' and walked ahead, while Konstantin and Chichikov followed. "'Things are going hard with me, Platon Mikhailitch,' continued Klobuev. "'How hard you cannot imagine! No money have I, no food, no boots. Were I still young and a bachelor, it would have come easy to me to live on bread and cheese. But when a man is growing old, and has got a wife and five children, such trials press heavily upon him, and, in spite of himself, his spirits sink.' should you succeed in selling the estate that would help to put you right would it not said platon how could it do so replied clobber with a despairing gesture what i might get for the property would have to go towards discharging my debts and i should find myself left with less than a thousand roubles besides then what do you intend to do god knows but is there nothing to which you could set your hand in order to clear yourself of your difficulties How could there be? Well, you might accept a government post. (laughs) Become a provincial secretary, you mean. How could I obtain such a post? They would not offer me one of the meanest possible kind. Even supposing that they did, how could I live on a salary of five hundred roubles? I who have a wife and five children. Then try and obtain a bailiff's post. Who would entrust their property to a man who has squandered his own estate? nevertheless when death and destitution threaten a man must either do something or starve shall i ask my brother to use his influence to procure you a post no no Platon mikhailitch sighed klobuev gripping the other's hand i am no longer serviceable i am grown old before my time and find that liver and rheumatism are paying me for the sins of my youth why should the government be put to a loss on my account not to speak of the fact that for every salaried post there are countless numbers of applicants. God forbid that, in order to provide me with a livelihood, further burdens should be imposed upon an impoverished public. Such are the results of improvident management, thought Platon to himself. The disease is even worse than my slothfulness. Meanwhile Kostanzokhler, walking by Chichikov's side, was almost taking leave of his senses. Look at it! he cried with a wave of his hand, see to what wretchedness the peasant has become reduced. Should cattle disease come, Kloboveff will have nothing to fall back upon, but will be forced to sell his all, to leave the peasant without a horse, and therefore without the means to labour, even though the loss of a single day's work may take years of labour to rectify. Meanwhile, it is plain that the local peasant has become a mere dissolute, lazy drunkard. Give a music, enough to live upon for twelve months without working and you will corrupt him for ever so inured to rags and vagrancy will he grow and what is the good of that piece of pasture there of that piece on the further side of those huts it is a mere flooded tract were it mine i should put it under flax and clear five thousand roubles or else sow it with turnips and clear perhaps four thousand and see how the rye is drooping and nearly laid as for wheat i am pretty sure that he has not sown any look too at those ravines were they mine they would be standing under timber which even a rook could not top to think of wasting such quantities of land where land wouldn't bear corn i should dig it up and plant it with vegetables what ought to be done is that Klobuev ought to take a spade into his own hands and to set his wife and children and servants to do the same and even if they died of the exertion they would at least die doing their duty and not through guzzling at the dinner-table. This said, Kostanzoglo spat, and his brow flushed with grim indignation. Presently they reached an elevation whence the distant flashing of a river, with its floodwaters and subsidiary streams, caught the eye, while further off a portion of General Patricia's homestead could be discerned among the trees, and over it a blue, densely wooded hill, where Chenchetnikov's mansion was situated. This is where I should plant timber, said Chichikov, and, regarded as a site for a manor-house, the situation could scarcely be beaten for beauty of view. You seem to set great store upon views and beauty, remarked Kostanzoglo, with reproof in his tone. Should you pay too much attention to those things, you might find yourself without crops or view. Utility should be placed first, not beauty. Beauty will come of itself." take for example towns the fairest and most beautiful towns are those which have built themselves those in which each man has built to suit his own exclusive circumstances and needs whereas towns which men have constructed on regular string-taught lines are no better than collections of barracks put beauty aside and look only to what is necessary yes but to me it would always be irksome to have to wait all the time that i was doing so i should be hungering to see in front of me the sort of prospect which i prefer come come are you a man of twenty-five you who have served as a chinovnik in st petersburg have patience have patience for six years work and work hard plant sow and dig the earth without taking a moment's rest it will be difficult i know yes difficult indeed But at the end of that time if you have thoroughly stirred the soil the land will begin to help you as nothing else can do that is to say over and above your seventy or so pairs of hands there will begin to assist in the work seven hundred pairs of hands which you cannot see thus everything will be multiplied tenfold i myself have ceased even to have to lift a finger for whatsoever needs to be done gets done of itself nature loves patience always remember that it is a law given her of God himself, who has blessed all those who are strong to endure. To hear your words is to be both encouraged and strengthened, said Chichikov. To this Kostanzogolo made no reply, but presently went on, And see how that piece of land has been ploughed. To stay here longer is more than I can do. For me to have a look upon such want of orderliness and foresight is death. Finish your business with Klobuev without me, and whatsoever you do, get this treasure out of that fool's hands as quickly as possible, for he is dishonoring God's gifts. And Kostanzoklo, his face dark with the rage that was seething in his excitable soul, left Chichikov, and caught up the owner of the establishment. What, Konstantin Tidorevich, cried Klobuev in astonishment, just arrived, you're going already? Yes, I cannot help it business requires me at home.' And entering his gig, Kostanzoglo drove rapidly away. Somehow, Klobuev seemed to divine the cause of his sudden departure. "'It was too much for him,' he remarked. "'An agriculturist of that kind does not like to have to look upon the results of such factless management as mine. Would you believe it, Paul Ivanovich? but this year I have been unable to sow any wheat? Am I not a fine husbandman? There was no seed for the purpose nor yet anything with which to prepare the ground. No, I'm not like Konstantin Todorovitch, who, I hear, is a perfect Napoleon in his particular line. Again and again the thought occurs to me. Why has so much intellect been put into that hat, and only a drop or two into my own dull plate? Take care of that puddle, gentlemen. I've told my peasants to lay down planks for the spring, but they've not done so. Nevertheless, my heart aches for the poor fellows, for they need a good example.' And what sort of an example am I? How am I to give them orders? Pray take them under your charge, Paul Ivanovitch, for I cannot teach them orderliness and method when I myself lack both. As a matter of fact, I should have given them their freedom long ago, had there been any use in my doing so. For even I can see that peasants must first be afforded the means of earning a livelihood before they can live. What they need is a stern yet just master who shall live with them day in, day out, and set them an example of tireless energy. The present-day Russian, I know of it myself, is helpless without a driver. Without one he falls asleep, and the mould grows over him." "'Yet I cannot understand why he should fall asleep and grow mouldy in that fashion,' said Platon. "'Why should he need continual surveillance to keep him from degenerating into a drunkard and a good-for-nothing?' "'The cause is lack of enlightenment.' said Chichikov. "'Possibly. Only God knows. Yet enlightenment has reached us right enough. Do we not attend university lectures and everything else that is befitting? Take my own education. I learned not only the usual things, but also the art of spending money upon the latest refinement, the latest amenity, the art of familiarizing oneself with whatsoever money can buy. How, then, can it be said that I was educated foolishly, and my comrade's education was the same?' A few of them succeeded in annexing the cream of things, for the reason that they had the wit to do so, and the rest spent their time in doing their best to ruin their health and squander their money. Often, I think, there is no hope for the present-day Russian. While desiring to do everything, he accomplishes nothing. One day he will scheme to begin a new mode of existence, a new dietary. Yet before evening he will have so overeaten himself as to be unable to speak or do aught, but sit staring like an owl. The same with everyone. Quite so, agreed Chichikov with a smile. Tis everywhere the same story. (laughs) To tell the truth, we're not born to common sense. I doubt whether Russia has ever produced a really sensible man. For my own part, if I see my neighbor living a regular life and making money and saving it, I begin to distrust him and to feel certain that in old age, if not before, he too will be led astray by the devil, led astray in a moment yes whether or not we be educated there is something we lack but what that something is passes my understanding on the return journey the prospect was the same as before everywhere the same slovenliness the same disorder was displaying itself unadorned the only difference being that a fresh puddle had formed in the middle of the village street this want and neglect was noticeable in the peasants quarters equally with the quarters of the baron in the village A furious woman in greasy sackcloth was beating a poor young wench within an ace of her life, and at the same time devoting some third person to the care of all the devils in hell. Further away, a couple of peasants were stoically contemplating the virago, one scratching his rump as he did so, and the other yawning. The same yawn was discernible in the buildings, for not a roof was there, but had a gaping hole in it. As he gazed at the scene, Platon himself yawned. Patch was superimposed upon Patch, and, in place of a roof, one hut had a piece of wooden fencing, while its crumbling window-frames were stayed with sticks purloined from the baron's barn. Evidently, the system of upkeep in vogue was the system employed in the case of Trishkin's coat, the system of cutting up the cuffs and the collar into mendings for the elbows. No, I do not admire your way of doing things was Chichikov's unspoken comment when the inspection had been concluded and the party had re-entered the house. Everywhere in the latter, the visitors were struck with the way in which poverty went with glittering, fashionable profusion. On a writing-table lay a volume of Shakespeare, and, on an occasional table, a carved ivory back-scratcher. The hostess, too, was elegantly and fashionably attired, and devoted her whole conversation to the town and the local theatre. Lastly, the children— bright, merry little things, were well-dressed both as regards boys and girls. Yet far better would it have been for them if they had been clad in plain-striped smocks and running about the courtyard like peasant children. Presently a visitor arrived in the shape of a chattering, gossiping woman, whereupon the hostess carried her off to her own portion of the house, and, the children following them, the men found themselves alone. "'How much do you want for the property?' asked Chichikov of Klobuev. I am afraid I must request you to name the lowest possible sum, since I find the estate in a far worse condition than I had expected to do. Yes, it is in a terrible state, agreed Klobuev. Nor is that the whole of the story. That is to say, I will not conceal from you the fact that, out of a hundred souls registered at the last revision, only fifty survive. So terrible have been the ravages of cholera, and of these again some have absconded, wherefore they, too, must be reckoned as dead, seeing that, were one to enter process against them, the costs would end in the property having to pass en bloc to the legal authorities. For these reasons I am asking only thirty-five thousand roubles for the estate. Chichikov, it need hardly be said, started to haggle. Thirty-five thousand, he cried. Come, come, surely you will accept twenty-five thousand. This was too much for Platon's conscience. "'Now, now, Paul Ivanovitch!' he exclaimed. "'Take the property at the price named and have done with it. "'The estate is worth at least that amount. "'So much so that, should you not be willing to give it, "'my brother-in-law and I will club together to effect the purchase.' "'That being so,' said Chichikov, taken aback, "'I beg to agree to the price in question. "'At the same time, I must ask you to allow me to defer payment "'of one half of the purchase money until a year from now.' no no paul ivanovitch under no circumstances could i do that pay me half now and the rest in you see i need the money for the redemption of the mortgage that places me in a difficulty remarked chichikov ten thousand roubles is all that at the moment i have available as a matter of fact this was not true seeing that counting also the money which he had borrowed of kostanzoglo he had at his disposal twenty thousand his real reason for hesitating was that he disliked the idea of making so large a payment in a lump sum. "'I must repeat my request, Polivanovitch," Ivanovitch said Klobuev, namely, that you pay me at least fifteen thousand immediately.' "'The odd five thousand I will lend you,' put in Platon to Chichikov. "'Indeed!' exclaimed Chichikov, as he reflected. "'So he also lends money.' In the end, Chichikov's despatch box was brought from the Koyushka, and Klobuev received thence ten thousand roubles, together with a promise that the remaining five thousand should be forthcoming on the morrow, though the promise was given only after Chichikov had first proposed that three thousand should be brought on the day named, and the rest be left over for two or three days longer, if not for a still more protected period. The truth was that Ivanovitch hated parting with money, no matter how urgent the situation might have been, he would still have preferred to pay a sum tomorrow rather than today. In other words, he acted as we all do, for we all like keeping a petitioner waiting. Let him rub his back in the hall for a while, we say. Surely he can bide his time a little. Yet of the fact that every hour may be precious to the poor wretch and that his business may suffer from the delay, we take no account. Good sir, we say, pray come again tomorrow. Today I have no time to spare you.' "'Where do you intend henceforth to live?' inquired Platon. "'Have you any other property to which you can retire?' "'No,' replied Cloverth. "'I shall remove to the town where I possess a small villa. That would have been necessary in any case for the children's sake. You see, they must have instruction in God's word, and also lessons in music and dancing, and not for love or money can these things be procured in the country.' Nothing to eat, yet dancing lessons for his children, reflected Chichikov. An extraordinary man, was Platon's unspoken comment. However, we must contrive to wet our bargain somehow, continued Glomberth. Here, Karushka, bring that bottle of champagne. Nothing to eat, yet champagne to drink, reflected Chichikov. As for Platon, he did not know what to think. In Klobuev's eyes it was de rigueur that he should provide a guest with champagne, but, though he had sent to the town for some, he had been met with a blank refusal to forward even a bottle of croiss on credit. Only the discovery of a French dealer who had recently transferred his business from St. Petersburg and opened a connection on a system of general credit saved the situation by placing Klobuev under the obligation of patronizing him. The company drank three glassfuls apiece, and so grew more cheerful. In particular did Clobo have expand, and wax full of civility and friendliness, and scatter witticisms and anecdotes to right and left. What knowledge of men in the world did his utterances display? How well and accurately could he divine things? With what appositeness did he sketch the neighboring landowners? How clearly he exposed their faults and failings! How thoroughly he knew the story of certain ruined gentry! the story of how, why, and through what cause they had fallen upon evil days, with what comic originality could he describe their little habits and customs. In short, his guests found themselves charmed with his discourse and felt inclined to vote him a man of first-rate intellect. "'What most surprises me,' said Chichikov, "'is how, in view of your ability, you come to be so destitute of means or resources.' "'But I have plenty of both,' said Klobuev and, with that, went on to deliver himself of a perfect avalanche of projects. Yet those projects proved to be so uncouth, so clumsy, so little the outcome of a knowledge of men and things, that his hearers could only shrug their shoulders and mentally exclaim, Good Lord! what a difference between worldly wisdom and the capacity to use it! In every case, the projects in question were based upon the imperative necessity of at once procuring from somewhere two hundred or at least one hundred thousand roubles. That done, so Klupewev averred, everything would fall into its proper place, the holes in his pockets would become stopped, his income would be quadrupled, and he would find himself in a position to liquidate his debts in full. Nevertheless, he ended by saying, "'What would you advise me to do? I fear that the philanthropist who would lend me two hundred thousand roubles, or even a hundred thousand, does not exist.' It is not God's will that he should. Good gracious! inwardly ejaculated Chichikov. To suppose that God would send such a fool two hundred thousand roubles. However, went on Klobuev, I possess an aunt worth three millions, a pious old woman who gives freely to churches and monasteries, but finds a difficulty in helping her neighbor. At the same time, she's a lady of the old school and worth having a peep at. Her canaries alone number four hundred and, in addition, there is an army of pug-dogs, hangers-on, and servants. Even the youngest of the servants is sixty, but she calls them all young fellows, and if a guest happens to offend her during dinner, she orders them to leave him out when handing out the dishes. There's a woman for you.' Platon laughed. "'And what may her family name be?' asked Chichikov. "'And where does she live?' "'She lives in the county town, and her name is Alexandra Ivanovna Kanazarov.' then why do you not apply to her asked platon earnestly it seems to me that once she realized the position of your family she could not possibly refuse you alas nothing is to be looked for from that quarter replied Klobhoff. my aunt is of a very stubborn disposition a perfect stone of a woman moreover she has around her a sufficient band of favourites already in particular is there a fellow who is aiming for a governorship "'and to that end has managed to insinuate himself into the circle of her kinsfolk. "'By the way,' the speaker added, turning to Platon, "'would you do me a favour? "'Next week I am giving a dinner to the associated guilds of the town.' "'Platon stared. "'He had been unaware that both in our capitals and in our provincial towns "'there exists a class of men whose lives are an enigma, "'men who, though they will seem to have exhausted their substance "'and to have become enmeshed in debt,' will suddenly be reported as in funds and on the point of giving a dinner, and though at this dinner the guests will declare that the festival is bound to be their host's last fling, and that for a certainty he will be hailed to prison on the morrow, ten years or more will elapse, and the rascal will still be at liberty, even though in the meanwhile his debts will have increased. In the same way did the conduct of Clopper's menage afford a curious phenomenon, for one day the house would be the scene of a solemn te deum performed by a priest in vestments and the next of a stage play performed by a troop of french actors in theatrical costume again one day would see not a morsel of bread in the house and the next day a banquet and generous largesse given to a party of artists and sculptors during these seasons of scarcity sufficiently severe to have led any one but cloboeuf to seek suicide by hanging or shooting the master of the house would be preserved from rash action by his strongly religious disposition which contriving in some curious way to conform with his irregular mode of life enabled him to fall back upon reading the lives of saints ascetics and others of the type which has risen superior to its misfortunes and at such times his spirits would become softened his thoughts full of gentleness and his eyes wet with tears he would fall to saying his prayers and invariably some strange coincidence would bring an answer thereto in the shape of an unexpected measure of assistance that is to say some former friend of his would remember him and send him a trifle in the way of money or else some female visitor would be moved by his story to let her impulsive generous heart proffer him a handsome gift or else a suit whereof tidings had never even reached his ears would end by being decided in his favour and when that happened he would reverently acknowledge the immensity of the mercy of providence, gratefully tender thanksgiving for the same, and betake himself again to his irregular mode of existence. Somehow I feel sorry for the man, said Platon, when he and Chichikov had taken leave of their host and left the house. Perhaps so, but he is a hopeless prodigal, replied the other. Personally I find it impossible to compassionate such fellows. And with that, pair ceased to devote another thought to Klobuev. In the case of Platon this was because he contemplated the fortunes of his fellows with a lethargic, half somnolent eye which he turned upon all the rest of the world, for though the sight of distress of others would cause his heart to contract and feel full of sympathy, the impression thus produced never sank into the death of his being. Accordingly, before many minutes were over, he had ceased to bestow a single thought upon his late host. With Chichikov, however, things were different, whereas Platon had ceased to think of Klobuev no more than he had ceased to think of himself, Chichikov's mind had strayed elsewhere, for the reason that it had become taken up with grave meditation on the subject of the purchase just made. Suddenly finding himself no longer a fictitious proprietor, but the owner of a real, an actually existing estate... He became contemplative, and his plans and ideas assumed such a serious vein as imparted to his features an unconsciously important air. "'Patience and hard work,' he muttered to himself. "'The thing will not be difficult, for with those two requisites I have been familiar from the days of my swaddling clothes. Yes, no novelty will they be to me. Yet, in middle age, shall I be able to compass the patience whereof I was capable in my youth.' However, no matter how he regarded the future, and no matter from what point of view he considered his recent acquisition, he could see nothing but advantage likely to accrue from the bargain. For one thing, he might be able to proceed so that first the whole of the estate should be mortgaged, and then the better portions of land sold outright, or he might so contrive matters as to manage the property for a while, and thus become a landowner like Costanzioglo whose advice, as his neighbor and his benefactor, he intended always to follow, and then to dispose of the property by private treaty, provided he did not wish to continue his ownership, and still to retain in his hands the dead and abandoned souls. And another possible coup occurred to his mind, that is to say, he might contrive to withdraw from the district without having repaid Kostanjoklo at all. Truly a splendid idea! Yet it is only fair to say that the idea was not one of Chichikov's own conception. Rather, it had presented itself, mocking, laughing and winking, unbidden. Yet the impudent, the wanton thing, who is the procreator of suddenly-born ideas of the kind, the thought that he was now a real, an actual proprietor instead of a fictitious, that he was now a proprietor of real land real rights of timber and pasture, and real serves, who existed not only in the imagination, but also in veritable actuality, greatly elated our hero. So he took to dancing up and down in his seat, to rubbing his hands together, to winking at himself, to holding his fist trumpet-wise to his mouth, while making believe to execute a march, and even to uttering aloud such encouraging nicknames and phrases as Bulldog and Little Fat Capon. Then, suddenly recollecting that he was not alone, he hastened to moderate his behaviour and endeavoured to stifle the endless flow of his good spirits. With the result that when Platon, mistaking certain sounds for utterances addressed to himself, inquired what his companion had said, the latter retained the presence of mind to reply, nothing. Presently, as Chichikov gazed about him, he saw that for some time past the Kolyashka had been skirting a beautiful wood and that on either side the road was bordered with an edging of birch trees the tenderly green recently opened leaves of which caused their tall slender trunks to show up with the whiteness of a snowdrift likewise nightingales were warbling from the recesses of the foliage and some wood tulips were glowing yellow in the grass next and almost before chichikov had realized how he came to be in such a beautiful spot when but a moment before there had been visible only open fields There glimmered among the trees the stony whiteness of a church, with, on the further side of it, the intermittent, foliage-buried line of a fence, while from the upper end of a village street there was advancing to meet the vehicle a gentleman with a cap on his head, a knotted cudgel in his hands, and a slender-limbed English dog by his side. "'This is my brother,' said Platon. "'Stop, coachman!' And he descended from the Kolyashka, while Chichikov followed his example." Yarp and the strange dog saluted one another, and then the active, thin-legged, slender-tongued Azor relinquished his licking of Yarp's blunt jowl, licked Platon's hands instead, and, leaping upon Chichikov, slobbered right into his ear. The two brothers embraced. "'Really, Platon,' said the gentleman, whose name was Vasili, "'what do you mean by treating me like this?' "'How so?' said Platon, indifferently. "'What?' For three days past I have seen and heard nothing of you. A groom from Pietuk's brought your cob home and told me you had departed on an expedition with some baron. At least you might have sent me word as to your destination and the probable length of your absence. What made you act so? God knows what I have not been wondering. Does it matter? rejoined Platon. I forgot to send you word, and we have been no further than Constantine's, who, with our sister, sent you his greeting. By the way, may I introduce paul ivanovitch chichikov the pair shook hands with one another then doffing their caps they embraced what sort of man is this chichikov thought vasili as a rule my brother platon is not over-nice in his choice of acquaintances and eyeing our hero as narrowly as civility permitted he saw that his appearance was that of a perfectly respectable individual Chichikov returned Fazili's scrutiny with a similar observance of the dictates of civility, and perceived that he was shorter than Platon, that his hair was of a darker shade, and that his features, though less handsome, contained far more life, animation, and kindliness than did his brothers. Clearly he indulged in less dreaming, though that was an aspect which Chichikov little regarded. "'I've made up my mind to go touring our holy Russia with Paolo Ivanovich,' said Platon. "'Perhaps it will rid me of my melancholy.' "'What has made you come to such a sudden decision?' asked the perplexed Vasily. Very nearly he added, "'Fancy going travelling with a man whose acquaintance you have just made, and who may turn out to be a rascal or the devil knows what.' But, in spite of his distrust, he contented himself with another covert scrutiny of Chichikov, and this time came to the conclusion that there was no fault to be found with his exterior." The party turned to the right and entered the gates of an ancient courtyard attached to an old-fashioned house of a type no longer built, the type which has huge gables supporting a high-pitched roof. In the centre of the courtyard two great lime-trees covered half the surrounding space with shade, while beneath them arranged a number of wooden benches, and the whole was encircled with a ring of blossoming lilacs and cherry-trees which, like a beaded necklace, reinforced the wooden fence, and almost buried it beneath their clusters of leaves and flowers. The house, too, stood almost concealed by this greenery, except that the front door and the windows peered pleasantly through the foliage, and that here and there, between the stems of the trees, there could be caught glimpses of the kitchen regions, the storehouses and the cellar. Lastly, around the hall stood a grove, from the recesses of which came the echoing songs of nightingales. Involuntarily, the place communicated to the soul a sort of quiet, restful feeling, so eloquently did it speak of that carefree period when every one lived on good terms with his neighbor, and all was simple and unsophisticated. vasily invited Chichikov to seat himself, and the party approached, for that purpose, the benches under the lime-trees, after which a youth of about seventeen and clad in a red shirt brought decanters containing various kinds of quass, some of them as thick as syrup and others hissing like aerated lemonade, deposited the same upon the table and, taking up a spade which he had left leaning against the tree, moved away towards the garden. The reason of this was that in the brothers' household, as in that of Costanziocolo, no servants were kept, since the whole staff were rated as gardeners, and performed their duty in rotation, Fagili holding that domestic service was not a specialised calling, but one to which any one might contribute a hand, and therefore one which did not require special menials to be kept for the purpose. Moreover, he held that the average Russian peasant remains active and willing rather than lazy only so long as he wears a shirt and a peasant's smock, but that as soon as ever he finds himself put into a German tailcoat he becomes awkward, sluggish, indolent, disinclined to change his vest or take a bath, fond of sleeping in his clothes, and certain to breed fleas and bugs under the German apparel. And it may be that Vasily was right. At all events, the brothers' peasantry were exceedingly well clad. The women, in particular, having their head-dresses spangled with gold, and the sleeves of their blouses embroidered after the fashion of a Turkish shawl. "'You see here the species of quaz for which our house has long been famous,' said Vasili to Chichikov. The latter poured himself out a glassful from the first decanter which he lighted upon, and found the contents to be linden-honey of a kind never tasted by him even in Poland, seeing that it had a sparkle like that of champagne.' and also an effervescence, which sent a pleasant spray from the mouth into the nose. "'Nectar!' he proclaimed. Then he took some from a second decanter. It proved to be even better than the first. "'A beverage of beverages!' he exclaimed. At your respected brother-in-laws, I tasted the finest syrup which has ever come my way. But here I have tasted the very finest cruse. "'Yet the recipe for the syrup also came from here,' said Fasili, seeing that my sister took it with her. By the way, to what part of the country and to what places are you thinking of travelling? To tell the truth, replied Chichikov, rocking himself to and fro on the bench and smoothing his knee with his hand and gently inclining his head, I am travelling less on my own affairs than on the affairs of others. That is to say, General Betristchev, an intimate friend and, I might add, a generous benefactor of mine, has charged me with commissions to some of his relatives. Nevertheless, though relatives are relatives, i may say that i am travelling on my own account as well in that in addition to possible benefit to my health i desire to see the world and the whirligig of humanity which constitute so so speak a living book a second course of education vasily took thought the man speaks floridly he reflected yet his words contain a certain element of truth after a moment's silence he added to platon i am beginning to think that the tour might help you to bestir yourself At present you are in a condition of mental slumber. You have fallen asleep, not so much from weariness or satiety, as through a lack of vivid perceptions and impressions. For myself, I am your complete antithesis. I should be only too glad if I could feel less acutely, if I could take things less to heart. Emotion has become a disease with you, said Platon. You seek your own troubles and make your own anxieties. "'How can you say that, when ready-made anxieties, greet one at every step?' exclaimed Vasily. "'For example, have you heard of the trick which Leonitsin has just played us, of his seizing the piece of vacant land, whither our peasants resort for their sports? That piece I would not sell for all the money in the world. It has long been our peasants' playground, and all the traditions of our village are bound up with it. Moreover, for me, old custom is a sacred thing, for which I would gladly sacrifice everything else.' cannot have known of this or he would not have seized the land said platon he is a newcomer just arrived from st petersburg a few words of explanation ought to meet the case but he does know of what i have stated he does know of it purposely i sent him word to that effect yet he has returned me the rudest of answers then go yourself and explain matters to him no i will not do that he has tried to carry off things with too high a hand but you can go if you like. I would certainly go, were it not that I scarcely like to interfere. Also, I am a man whom he could easily hoodwink and outwit. Would it help you if I were to go? put in Chichikov. Pray enlighten me as to the matter. Vasili glanced at the speaker and thought to himself, what a passion the man has for travelling. Yes, pray give me an idea of the kind of fellow, repeated Chichikov and also outlined to me the affair i should be ashamed to trouble you with such an unpleasant commission replied Fajili. he is a man whom i take to be an utter rascal originally a member of a family of plain dvarian in this province he entered the civil service in st petersburg then married some one's natural daughter in that city and has returned to lord it with a high hand i cannot bear the tone he adopts our folk are by no means fools they do not look upon the current fashion as the Tsar's ukaz any more than they look upon St. Petersburg as a church. Naturally, said Chichikov, but tell me more of the particulars of the quarrel. There are these. He needs additional land, and, had he not acted as he has done, I would have given him some land elsewhere for nothing. But, as it is, the pestilent fellow has taken it into his head to— I think I had better go and have a talk with him. That might settle the affair." Several times have people charged me with similar commissions, and never have they repented of it. General Betrishchev is an example. Nevertheless, I am ashamed that you should be put to the annoyance of having to converse with such a fellow. Note. At this point there occurs a long hiatus. End note. End of part two, chapter four, section one.